turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, that's where we'll be. I love this passage. It's a familiar story, familiar passage to some. Peter and John, two of the most well-known men in the New Testament, are here in our story, are the uh, protagonists of the story. And they're going up into the temple one day at an appointed time. And they see a man there at the gate of the temple, at the steps of the temple. The Bible says he was daily laid there. He was daily carried and laid there at the steps of the temple. And this is the first instance that we see the men, Peter and John, perform a miracle of healing someone. And we know God doesn't work in those ways anymore. Hebrews 1 tells us that. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spoke to us in times past by the prophets, spoken dreams, he's spoken visions, all these different things, speaks to us today by his son, through Jesus Christ, through the, the work of the Holy Spirit, through his word. And he doesn't use these sign gifts, as we call them, anymore, but they were appointed for a particular time to draw attention to himself. And Peter and John are here in the story. Look at verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to stand and share truths from your word, Lord. And none of us are worthy to be an expression of you, but we're thankful that you choose to use us. And I pray, Lord, that something that's said, a truth from Scripture, a principle that we can find in your word, will speak to our hearts. It will have us consider our spiritual walk, Lord, our relationship with you. We know anytime the word of God is open, we ought to reverence it. We ought to give attention to it. And we pray that the message is a blessing to this dear church family and this pastor and his wife and their family as well. Thank you for the opportunity once again to be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Have you ever gotten credit for something that you had very little to do with in reality? I get this several times as I travel with groups around the country. I was with a group out in Nebraska and Iowa. We went up to Minnesota, and now I believe they're in Montana coming back across the country. I've traveled with this group for several days now, and it's only a short time that I'm with them. But periodically, we're in a church, and this group gets up and they sing, and our pianist is playing the piano. And I have actually very little to do with what is being presented on the platform at that moment in song. But often when I'm greeting the church family, I will get thanked for the music. They'll say, hey, that was great singing. And I'm not sure if it's, I just met them and they're confusing me with someone on the platform, but I always feel a little odd because I'm getting credit for something that I had really, I wasn't a part of at all. And here in scripture, Peter and John, all, all the people are looking at them with amazement. They're wondering at how they can perform this miracle. But in reality, Peter and John have very little to do with what is happening in this man's life. If you know the story, Peter and John were two of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. They lived with Jesus. And if you even try to imagine yourself in that kind of a situation, that's an amazing thought. They walked and they talked with the literal, physical Son of God while he was on the earth. But in Acts 3, this is after Jesus has died, he's risen, and he's ascended up into heaven. This is about two years almost after that point. And here in Scripture, Peter and John, they're going through the process of life. They're still following Christ. And I want to pull out just three principles from what we see in this story that we can apply to our lives. We know that God can't use us in a miraculous healing sort of sense. He doesn't work in that way anymore, but he does intend for us to live lives of difference. He intends for us to live lives of power, lives that are dependent upon him and not on ourselves. And I want to just pull out three truths that lend insight into Peter and John's walk with the Lord, their relationship with the Lord. In verse 1, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. In Jewish custom, the ninth hour was the time of the evening sacrifice. This is the time the work day is over. The entire city, the entire town would come to the temple. The priests there, the Bible says in Hebrews, they daily minister to, to sacrifice for the sins of the people to represent to God that the people are sorry for their sin, that they're confessing, they're agreeing with God about the state of their relationship with the Lord. And so the time of the evening sacrifice, the entire town would come to the temple to sacrifice. But Peter and John, they were part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. They know that after this man, this one sacrifice for sins forever, there was no more a need for them to bring a sacrifice. So they're not going to the temple to bring a sacrifice. What does the Bible say they're doing? It's the hour of prayer. Now it is the time of the evening sacrifice. That is the designated time for that. But for Peter and John, this is a designated time for them to come and develop their relationship with the Lord. And if anyone in scripture could have said, hey, I've arrived or I've made it or I've done enough 
or they could look back at all of what they've accomplished and just sat on their laurels and enjoyed the rest of their life. Here we see two men, Peter and John, two years after Jesus Christ is no longer physically with them. They're faithfully enjoying a relationship with the Lord. It indicates here in Scripture that this is part of their part of their manner. This is part of their schedule. This is their set time. They're coming to pray. The relationship with the Lord is part of the foundation of our Christian life. Amen. Developing a daily walk and relationship with the Lord in His Word, in prayer, hearing from Him and allowing that to impact our lives. And if we're not careful, some of those foundational things are the things that so easily get forgotten. When I was in Bible college, um, I was not saved. I grew up in a Christian household, a Christian home uh, my entire life. Pastor Lynn and I were talking about it last night. Military family, we moved all over the place. It was a great time. But there came a time when I had to choose that that was my faith and my belief, and that was what I was going to choose for the direction of my life. And it took me a while to get there. But one of the driving factors that drew me to salvation, that caused me to desire salvation, was the relationship with the Lord that others had that I didn't have and had no desire for apart from a draw to salvation. In fact, the message that I trusted Christ after was a message on fasting, of all things. It was talking about the depth of relationship with the Lord, that sometimes we need to show God that that relationship is more important than other desires in our life. And I was sitting there and I thought, man, this is, why would anyone ever want to do that? Why did people in scripture even do that? And God reminded me one more time, it was because I had no relationship with the Lord. But how easy is it and how often is it that once we are saved and now that we know the Lord as Christ followers, as the church, that those foundational principles that are attractive to the world around us are forgotten. They're done out of perhaps habit, perhaps out of expectation, but there's not the depth of love and passion that we once had. Peter and John, they're enjoying this faithful relationship with the Lord. One of the things that I love looking at in Scripture is all of the different people groups that followed Jesus throughout his ministry. And uh, he performed the feeding of the 5,000. You had a specific crowd that was there. You see how they interacted. You have different subgroups of people that followed him throughout different portions of his ministry. And many times, the Bible gives indication even to the motive of people that are following him. In the feeding of the 4,000 in John 6, people who followed Christ, Jesus actually rebuked because they were following him because of the loaves and the fishes. He says, you, you followed me, you came because you, you ate of the loaves and the fishes and you were filled. They were, they were coming to see a spectacle. They were coming to receive the blessings of the Lord, but they didn't actually desire the Lord himself. They loved what he did. They loved the miracles, the provision, but they weren't genuinely interested in Jesus. You have a closer group of people that were disciples of Christ, and you have this group that many times is referred to as the inner three or some other uh, uh, detractor that's going to designate this group as separate because 
they experienced things with the Lord that many others didn't, Peter, James, and John. And to these men here in Scripture, there's no benefit to following the Lord physically to them at this point. They're in the midst of a city that 18 to 24 months before this just killed Jesus Christ and crucified him on the cross. This is a time where it's difficult to follow the Lord. They're not following for the blessings. They're following because they have a love for Jesus. They enjoyed a faithful relationship with the Lord. But secondly, Peter depends on God. He fully depends on God. He's going up to the temple. This is their pattern. They'd have things to do. They have a schedule to stick to. They're going up to the temple to pray, but they're not so busy that they miss this opportunity that God's put in front of them. And there's a man there that they take time to go and speak to. We live in Southern California, and we are not strangers to people all around us that need the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can get callous in our own hearts that we've got things to do, we've got places to go, and we miss or we ignore the world around us that many times God has brought someone into our path for us to be an extension of him to them. And here, Peter and John, amazingly, they've got a, they've got a plan, they've got a schedule, places to be, and they take time to go and see this man. He's asking them for money. They don't have money, but they know they have something this man needs, and it's Jesus. And they're not so, um, they're not so ashamed, they're not so nervous that they're not going to share Christ with him. Verse 3, he's seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple and asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. He gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. The Bible says in chapter 4 that when the Sadducees and Pharisees looked at Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Something about their appearance communicated to this man, hey, we don't actually have money here. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. Verse 5, he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He's attributing everything that's about to happen this conversation and their interaction with this man to the name of the Lord. He's not depending on himself. Certainly, he's never done this before. He's probably kind of nervous. But he's depending on the Lord in this situation. I've looked up many definitions of dependence and what it means. And there are lots of different definitions and different spins that are put on all kinds of different words and how they're defined. But one definition that I love about dependence is depend means to lean on, to lean on. And I love giving a visual illustration that if I were to take this pulpit and actually lean on it, by the definition, I'm depending on it. But if Pastor Lynn steps up and just bum rushes this pulpit and pushes it back while I'm leaning on it with just my elbow or something, Am I truly depending on it? Or he's going to push that and I'm just going to be able to walk away? Why is that? That's because I'm really actually depending on myself and I'm leaning on this to a slight degree. 
And so when you're leaning on something, there's, there's a continuum. There are different levels on which you can lean. So when we talk about our relationship with the Lord, how do we know if we're depending on him or if we're depending on ourselves? Are, are we leaning on enough to be depending? How, how do you know? You're depending on the Lord when you're leaning on him enough that there would be an obvious difference if he were no longer there. So if I'm just having my elbow <laughs> on the pulpit, I'm actually depending on myself. But if I'm way over, and you got to be careful if you've got like a choir stand up here, you don't want to do this. <laughs> but if I'm leaning way over and the pulpit's pushed, what's going to happen? I'm going to notice real quick there's an obvious difference when that pulpit's no longer there. Why? Because I'm depending on the pulpit in that situation. And here Peter, he just claims that by the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man's going to walk. That would indicate that either he's going to walk or he's going to not. And if he's going to not, there's going to be an obvious indication that something's amiss here. There's going to be an obvious, um, if I can say it this way, there's going to be an obvious difference if the Lord was not in this situation from what actually occurred. And we'll talk about the rest of the story in a moment, but in my life and in yours, we think about our day-to-day -day schedule, our plan, what we have going on, and we're all over the place. Each of you interact with people I may never meet before in my life. Each of you will interact with people that other people in this room may never interact with or meet in their life. Are we aware of opportunities? And as we think about our day, is there an obvious difference that the Lord is a part of our lives? Are we depending on him on a day-to-day, -day, or is he relegated to the weekends, the times we meet at church? We think about yesterday, would there be an obvious difference with all the things we had going on? Or, like many times, are we depending on ourselves a little too much? And the Lord's not making that huge impact in our life. So Peter and John, they're enjoying a faithful relationship with the Lord. It's deep. They love the Lord. They're not serving him for benefit or any personal gain. There's no obvious reason to do that. They're developing their relationship. They're depending on God. And I would go so far as to say that if everything that you're doing right now in your life can be done and explained without the Lord and without the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure that we're accomplishing everything that God meant for our lives to be. But Peter then takes it a step further in verse 7. And I love this because he just doesn't keep the relationship to himself he doesn't just have a head knowledge or a conversational knowledge, but the time came in the story that Peter's got to make a decision to act, to react to what God is doing in his heart. In verse 7, and he took him by the right hand. Now, we've got to remember the picture, the story of what's going on. This is the time of the evening sacrifice. The whole city's going into and outside of the temple. There are thousands of that are part of this. The Bible says later in this very story, um, here in chapter 4, verse 4, that as a result, about 5,000 people believed. 
I'm assuming the Bible doesn't tell us, but there were many, many more than that thinking of the mass of the city of Jerusalem. They're going into outside. And while the story, it almost reads like there's two men talking to one man, this is a crowded temple complex. And they've just said the name of the Lord Jesus, that probably a few ears are perking up. He just died not too long ago. He's still fresh in the minds of many. There might be a little bit of a crowd starting to gather around this situation. And Peter, in his mind, I can only imagine that, hey, he's thinking, you know, what's going to happen if this doesn't work, if God's not going to come through? Am I going to make myself look really foolish in this situation? Am I going to make the name of the Lord look really foolish? All of these different thoughts. But when a pure heart of trust meets dependence and bold faith is acted on, God can work. And Peter then is taking that faith and that trust that God is putting in his heart and acting on what God is moving him to do. Several things blow me away about my children. And those in this room that have kids that are further along in their journey and have more experience than me could probably tell me lots of stories and things to look forward to and all of that. So my oldest son is turning three in about a week and a half, and our daughter just turned one in July. And I love both of them. They're both completely unique, going through different stages of life. My daughter is just starting to walk right now. So she's taken her three, four steps, and then she'll fall over. She'll stand up at the couch, bounce a little bit, decide she doesn't want to walk, crawl, you know, all that good, good stuff. Um, but several things blow me away about my kids. And I had heard others talk about this, but when they're your kids, I guess it's just like, wow, that's, it's, it's just different. But uh, one is that uh, their complete just lack of regard for things that could really, really hurt them. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's the steak knife out on the counter, and they have just no clue. Or there's a boiling pot of water, and... Our son has a little step stool that a lot of times he'll get up by the counter and help mom make something or whatever, and he'll just come over with his step stool. It's like, dude, you got to stay away from that. That could really, really hurt you. Doors being slammed. He's on a kick right now that he'll slam all the doors in the house after he goes through them. But that that just kind of blows me away is that, oh, here's 12-foot deep pool of water, and they're just kind of running haphazardly by it. They just have no idea of these things that could absolutely uh, change their life for the worse in an instant. And then the other thing is they're just complete trust. And those kind of two things go hand in hand. You hear the classic story of a dad, you know, puts his son up on the bed and has him jump to him. And so I've done that with my son. And it doesn't matter how far back you step, he's still going to jump, right? <laughs> he trusts. And you've got to be careful even in that instant to, to make sure you're not going far uh, too far back. But somewhere along the line, as he develops, he's going to start to understand that there are things that deserve to be feared. <laughs> there are things that you do need to be hesitant around. You do need to be cautious around. No longer do you just grab haphazardly the steak knife or whatever the case is. He's going to learn that kind of common sense. And somewhere along the line, he's going to learn that not everything and not everyone is worthy of trust. It's the world that we live in. 
But we've got to be careful that we don't let those kinds of natural progressions in our life creep into our relationship with the Lord. That now we're, we're cautious. Now we're wary of putting our dependence and our trust in him. We get to a place that we're more solid and sound in our own strength and in our own abilities. That anything that takes us beyond that makes us very, very nervous and very, very hesitant. And that creeps into our walk with the Lord. And here, Peter and John, they're beyond their ability. Where God's got to work and God's got to make a difference here. And this is why at the end of the story, they're so blown away that people are even looking at them. How in the world did you think that we could do that by our own power? This was God that acted in this instant. And Peter decides to act in faith. You know, in the Bible, all throughout, there are things that God could have done in an instant without human involvement. But yet he chooses to use men to perform whatever that act is. I think of Moses leading the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt. All of the development that he went through as a person to bring him to the place that God was going to use him to do that. But God didn't need Moses. He could have performed a miracle and miraculously brought them into the land. He didn't have to go through all of that. Here it's interesting in chapter 4 of Acts, we learn that the man that was healed, this layman that was laid daily at the gate of the temple, was above 40 years old. What that means, he was laid daily there, is that he would have been around when Jesus was around. When Jesus was walking into and out of the temple several times, from the time when he was just a child, when he was left there, his parents left back and left him in Jerusalem, and he was debating with the scribes, Jesus would have walked right past this man. Later on in his life, when he went to the temple, he would have walked right past this man. But Jesus chose not to heal him in either of those instances and waited for this opportunity where he was going to use Peter to act and Peter to be an expression of himself. And what's the end of the whole story? Peter's enjoying a faithful relationship with the Lord. And when we're faithfully, deeply walking with the Lord, God's Holy Spirit is going to work in our lives and bring us to opportunities where we act on his behalf. He's depending on the Lord in his life. He's acting in faith, and that's the situation where God is able to, to work. And at the end of the day, Peter takes an advantage of an opportunity. He didn't miss it. He wasn't too busy to miss what God was bringing his way. The end of the story, all the people saw him walking and praising God. The Bible says in, in chapter 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, the number of the men was about 5,000. What an incredible opportunity that the Lord's name was able to be lifted up. And what did we say at the beginning of, of the sermon tonight? Revelation 4, verse 11. The purpose of our lives is to bring him honor and glory. This entire interaction that Peter and John had with this lame man was an opportunity for them to bring honor and glory, not to themselves. And they could have. Everyone around them thought that it was by their power. But they reflected the praise to Jesus, and his name was magnified and glorified. 
great thing that happened. And we can't work by miracles, but we can develop a faithful relationship with the Lord. And we can live in dependence on God, and we can act in faith when His Holy Spirit is prompting us to move in accordance with that dependence and with that relationship. And that's the kind of situation, those are the kinds of people and lives that God uses. Ones that are faithful, ones that depend on Him, ones that live and walk by faith. The Bible goes as far to say without faith, it's not difficult, it's impossible to please Him. It's critical in the lives of Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this story.